Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as he leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. So for those of you who don't know her, uh, Blair Zant, the unexpected guest in this week's Carpool Karaoke, is a former pastor of this church, and so we appreciate Blair uh, coming along for the ride, especially since our normal uh, karaoke singers didn't know that many lake songs. Um, so we are uh, spending the summer, um, as Taylor mentioned, kind of on the road with Jesus. Our series is called Wish You Were Here, and uh, we, are, we are seeking rest with God in the places of God. The intention really is to help us experience the presence of God wherever we go all summer long, because summer is a time for us to travel, to be on the road, to go see family, to see friends, to take vacations. And the reality is that wherever we go, God is there. Whether or not we are with God, God is with us. And so we want to help keep connected with each other and with God by taking a look at some of the places where God was uh, with his people in Scripture. And a lake, or the lake, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee from a Jewish perspective, but the Lake of Gennesaret from a, from a Roman perspective, was one of the places where Jesus was with his people, powerfully uh, present with his people. Um, and so uh, Jesus called disciples by the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. Jesus taught uh, from a boat sitting um, in the lake with the people on the shore uh, for, uh, at the Lake of Gennesaret. Um, he stilled a storm um, on the lake. And then also he, as you already know, walked on water and Peter did too. That story comes to us from the gospel according to Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. The setting is, and the kids, you know, mentioned this, and Taylor mentioned this, the setting is that Jesus has just fed uh, a crowd of 5,000 plus who have followed him to the lake shore. They have uh, been listening to his teaching, and Jesus has fed them miraculously from just a few loaves of fish, or a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Um, and, uh, and so now Jesus is basically dismissing the crowds and sending the disciples across the lake. And so Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33 Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. By, by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. 
Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we pray that you would open our ears to the sound of your voice. Open our eyes to your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to the word of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Open our hands to love and serve others in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was little, and I mean like preschool and kindergarten little, we lived in Glen Burnie, Maryland, south of Baltimore. And one of my sort of lasting memories of Glen Burnie is the giant grocery store that we would go to for our groceries. And the only reason I remember the giant grocery store is that they had a tank of lobster in the grocery store. They had living lobsters in this tank in the grocery store. And so every time we went to the grocery store, most often with my mother, I would ask at some point, can I go look at the lobsters? I thought it was awesome. I thought they were pets. I had no idea that people would pick a lobster, take the lobster home, and put it into a pot of water on their stove. I think I probably would have cried if my mother had told me that's why they were there. I just thought it was cool. It was like going to the zoo or a pet store. They were, I thought they were like the store mascots. They were the giant grocery store lobsters, and they were there for my entertainment. And so I liked looking at the lobsters. No idea that for some of the shoppers, that was dinner. Also had no idea, and maybe you already know this, maybe you have already heard this, no idea that lobster shed their, um, sh- shed their shells periodically over the course of their lives. Like a snake sheds its skin, lobsters shed their, their shells periodically. They have to. They have grown to a point where they are about to outgrow their shell. If they don't shed their shell, that shell will become a prison for them and eventually a coffin for them. They can't survive by keeping the same shell they have been in. They have to shed that shell. And, not surprisingly, once they have shed that old shell and are waiting for the new shell to begin, they are vulnerable. It's the most vulnerable time in their lives. They don't have their natural protective barrier. The waves kind of hit them more full force and they're more at risk, you know, with other predators in the ocean. It's an awkward time. It's a kind of frightening time. Um, it's, it's It's a vulnerable time for lobsters. There are sort of uh, shell-less moments in our lives. Moments in our lives when we have lost the sort of world or lost the context, lost the structure we have known, which has been life-giving for us, but for good or for ill is no longer with us, no longer available to us. If you think about it for a moment, as we grow, we shed our shells. We grow out of our shells, and that's a good thing. All sorts of moments in our lives when we leave behind the shell we have known and grow into a new one. School is about to begin, right? And so especially at the beginning, when you go to school for the very first time, kindergarten, that's a major transition. It's a moment that's filled with excitement and uncertainty and vulnerability, both for the students and for the parents, 
It's a vulnerable time. Leaving behind the structure they have known, the life they have known, the context they have known, the shell they have known, that's been a protective barrier for them, a context in which they have lived and they have grown, but they got to leave it behind and then grow into a new one. And in a very real sense, the beginning of every school year is a kind of shell, you know, leaving moment. Especially, and I say this as the father of a soon-to-be, of a rising senior in high school, graduating from high school and going off to college, what a transition that is. What a moment of growth where the shell they have known, the context, the structure they have known, they leave behind and grow into a new one. There's another moment like that, right? Leaving an old shell behind moment when we graduate from college, if we go to college. Or when we graduate from high school and get a job. Or anytime we get a new job. Anytime we move. Uh, When we get married, when we have kids. These are all major transitions in our lives when the shell we have known gets left behind and we grow into a new one. And that transition time is vulnerable, it's uncomfortable, it's filled with excitement and uncertainty. When Jesus dismissed the crowds, he has just miraculously fed thousands and has sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, across the Lake of Gennesaret, That is a very ordinary, everyday activity for them. And yet at the same time, it was a sort of leave the shell behind moment for the disciples. And it's important to kind of see, hear this story in the context of the the gospel according to Matthew. The Sea of Galilee, uh, the Lake of Gennesaret, is a a sort of somewhat heart-shaped lake or sea. And I just kind of think it's humorous that for the Jews who hated the water, When they looked at this body of water, they saw a sea. It's so huge. It's 13 miles long and nine miles across. And then the the Romans got there, looked at it, and was like, this is not a sea. This is a lake, right? The Mediterranean Sea, that's a sea. This is a tiny body of water. So you have two names for the same place. But be that as it may, the Sea of Galilee is sort of the dividing line between the Jewish world to the west and the Greek and Roman world to the east. They were, there were three different political entities that shared, the, that shared the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. On the west, um, you, had, you had Israel. You had Galilee, to be more specific. That was home territory for Jesus and his disciples. Galilee in the north. Right? It was its own political unit. It was also its own cultural and religious uh, place. The people who lived there, overwhelmingly Jewish. In the East, you had a couple different political regions, but they were both, uh, they were both Greek in culture and Roman in government. Which meant that when Jesus told his disciples to get into a boat and go across to the other side. He was telling them to leave the world they knew and go toward a world that they did not know and which was not home. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is very clear that he is sent first and foremost to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He is sent to regather God's people for God's purposes in the world. He he is sent to regather God's people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, bring them back into a life-giving, world-blessing relationship with God. 
right? And so that's his priority. But this is the moment, the first moment when Jesus tells his disciples to kind of look up, look across, go there. This is a major leave the shell behind kind of moment. Because the people over there dress differently, speak differently, eat different kinds of foods, and worship other gods. This is not a small thing. Going to the other side meant going into an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people who dressed differently, who spoke differently, who ate differently, who worshiped differently. But of course, Jesus, who was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wasn't just sent to those lost sheep in Israel. He was sent to to and for all people. And so this is a major leave-the-shell-behind kind of moment for the disciples. And it's one of those positive but unnerving, exciting, uncertain, and vulnerable moments for the disciples. But then, of course, what was already awkward, what was already uncertain, becomes a disaster. A storm kicks up. And Jesus isn't with them. Now, it's important to know that there are two types of storms on the Sea of Galilee, two types of storms in the Lake of Gennesaret. There, and, and I realized this week um, that I was picturing the wrong kind of storm. Most of us probably, when we picture this storm, think of storm clouds and rain, right? Storm clouds gathering, rain pouring down. Jesus, you know, is not there. The disciples are in the boat. And then Jesus comes walking on the water through the storm clouds and the rain. Here's the thing. Two types of storms on the Sea of Galilee. There, there were and are rainstorms that come from the west, from the sea, from the Mediterranean Sea. That's one type of storm that hits the Sea of Galilee. But that's not the storm that the disciples were facing. The other kind of storm is a windstorm. The rainstorms come from the West, and people, seasoned fishermen like the disciples, not all of them, but many of them, especially those like Peter, James, uh, John, and Andrew, who, who plied their craft on the Sea of Galilee, who knew those waters, who knew that weather, the storms, the rainstorms coming from the West, from the, from the Mediterranean Sea, they, can, they could be seen coming. You could see the clouds gathering. You could see the rain approaching. You were never surprised by those storms, never caught off guard by those storms. But the storms that come from the east were different. They were wind storms. They are wind storms. They come from the Golan Heights to the east of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, and they appear suddenly. There aren't any clouds. There's no warning. Chaotic, violent winds suddenly descend from the Golan Heights and, and, and then run across the Sea of Galilee and kick up huge waves. This is the kind of storm that catches even seasoned fishermen by surprise. They can't see them coming. And so what was already a journey into an unknown territory, what was already a sort of leave the shell behind kind of moment for the disciples becomes something else altogether. 
because a violent windstorm comes. And if you look at the passage again, it never talks about rain, never talks about clouds. It talks about wind and waves. This is a whole other kind of leave-behind-the-shell kind of moment. And we know what it's like to live with those kind of transitions as well. Maybe you don't get a new job. Maybe you lose a job. And that's a storm in your life. And you know you're in transition from where you have been to where you'll be next, but you don't know how long it will take to get from where you've been to where you will be. You just know you're in the middle of a storm, and you don't know how long it is going to last. Maybe a relationship has ended, and it needed to end. It was toxic, it was unhealthy, it was not going to get better, but nonetheless, that is a storm. And you know where you've been, and you're in transition to where you will be, but you don't know exactly how long it will take or where it will be. You just know that right now you're in an emotional and relational storm, and there's lots of uncertainty and a whole lot of fear. And of course, many of you know the storm created through, through, through loss, through grief. The death of a spouse or a child, and you're in a storm. We know what it's like to be in a storm, not just in transition, one of those good transitions, one of those good leave the shell behind kind of moments. We know what it's like to be in one of those moments that's thrust upon us, unexpected and unwelcomed, just because we live in the world as it is. And in this world, there is evil, injustice, and suffering, and loss, and grief. And we find ourselves in a leave-behind-the-shell moment, and we don't really know how long it will take to get where we're going next. It's a little bit hidden in our English translation, but the disciples were in the middle of the lake when the storm hit, and they battled that storm for hours. It hit soon after the sun fell, and the, the Greek indicates that it was like the it was basically three or four a.m. when Jesus finally comes walking on the water. They were battling that storm for hours. They were in that place of uncertainty and vulnerability. And yet Jesus came walking toward them on the water, and yet Jesus came, was with them in the storm. He does that. He does, he, it is I, right? Don't be afraid. It is I. Comes to them in the storm. And they end up having a deeper and more heart-changing and life-altering experience of Jesus because of the storm, in the midst of the storm. If there hadn't been a storm, they never would have seen Jesus walking on the water. If there hadn't been a storm, Peter never would have gotten out of the boat and walked on the water together with Jesus. 
And the passage ends, the story ends with the disciples worshiping Jesus and saying to him, truly you are the Son of God. It was precisely in that place of fear, of terror, of uncertainty, of struggle, that Jesus became bigger. It was in that storm, in that place of uncertainty and struggle and fear that they discovered, much to our benefit, that our hope is not in the strength of our faith. Our hope is in the strength of Jesus. It's the object of our faith, not the strength of our faith, that is our hope. Our faith may be small, but God is not. Our faith may be small, but Jesus isn't. Our hope in the midst of the storm is not in the strength of our faith, but in the power of the one in whom we believe. And they discover that strength. They experience that power in the midst of the storm. And Peter discovers, again for our benefit, that the key when we're in a storm, when we're in one of those leave-the-shell-behind moments, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Did you catch why he began to sink? I I love, first of all, the the interaction between Peter and Jesus. This is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Peter really emerges from the crowd of disciples, becomes kind of a central figure going forward. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. What a great prayer of, uh, of discernment, right? Lord, if it's you. And it's really kind of beautiful. If it actually is Jesus, then where's the safest place to be? Like out of the boat and on the water with Jesus. But if it isn't Jesus, stay in the boat. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Come, says Jesus. He gets out of the boat, eyes on Jesus, starts walking toward Jesus, but the wind hasn't stopped, the waves kicked up, eyes go off Jesus to the waves, and down he goes. And so for the key, the key for us, the invitation for us is when we're in one of those leave the shell behind moments, whether a good one or a painful one, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because Jesus is always calling us to go across to the other side. Lobsters have to shed have to shed their shells. They have to pass through seasons of uncertainty. And the reality for us, for all of us, is that we never outgrow our need to keep outgrowing our shells. As long as we live in this world, Jesus will keep sending us across to the other side sending us to others who have yet to know him, hear his gospel, experience his grace, receive his love. Jesus will keep sending us to unfamiliar places and unfamiliar people and we'll feel awkward and uncertain and be vulnerable. 
and yet we're sent all the time to the other side, over there. It's like Jesus wants to keep us in our discomfort zone. Not our comfort zone or our delusional zone, but our discomfort zone where growth happens. Here's my uh, Steeler story for the month. So recently, Mike Tomlin, future Hall of Fame head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, he he had a a video that kind of went viral. The Steelers um, have this kind of recurring video feature called The Standard, and I won't get into all of that, but they had video of Coach T talking with the players in their sort of first summer camp where they have the rookies and the veterans together, and they they spend about a week together um, kind of working out, getting to know each other. And Coach, Coach Mike uh, Tomlin was talking to his players, and the reason it kind of caught uh, the attention of a lot of people and kind of made the rounds is he told all of them, not just the rookies, but the veterans, you need to be on the rise all the time. On the rise all the time, all of you. To be the kind of player who is always getting better, always pushing yourself pushing yourself physically, pushing yourself intellectually, training your body, growing in your game, doesn't matter who you are. And he has, he has like the reigning defensive player of the year in the room. You need to be on the rise. He's got elite level defenders and promising young offensive players in the room. All of them need to be on the rise. Relentless growth, continual growth, constantly push yourself, constantly basically be in your discomfort zone. If we live in our comfort zone, that's nice. It's comfortable. It's reassuring. I like, I like this shell, but we won't grow. But discomfort zone is different than delusional zone. Discomfort zone for me, for example, just to take another sports analogy, would be, hey, I want to run a half marathon this year. I'm not physically ready to do that right now. I haven't been doing enough miles, but I could, I could do that. I could plan to run a half marathon this year, or maybe even I'll run a marathon this year. Before the end of 2023, I'll run a marathon this year. That's really going to be putting me in my discomfort zone. That will take a lot. It's doable. It's attainable, but it's not going to happen automatically. It's going to take some effort, some focus, you know, some discipline. Delusional zone would be, I'm going to run an ultra marathon, a hundred mile race through Death Valley this year. That would be delusional and dangerous, right? So we don't want to live in our delusional zone, but we also want to live in our comfort zone. We need to live in our discomfort zone, which is where Jesus puts us. Going across to the other side all the time, even in the midst of the storms of life, Jesus is with us and leading us forward, and our only job is to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Him. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at Canon UMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424